Hey, Nick. Hey, Bubba Weed. Hey, did you know this the song Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel? He, he was actually talking about his penis. What? The whole time? Yeah, it's, you know, he was talking about having sex. And and did you know that uh, the song Blinding Lights by The Weeknd was actually about driving under the influence? Under the influence? I figure driving because of the lights, but under the influence as well? And did you know that Weapon of Choice was actually about Dune? No, no. Now I know you're lying could be and uh, at lyrical innuendo we actually discuss these songs and more and decide if they are really about sex drugs or if they're just rock and roll and you can find the newest episodes on spotify and everything else at rabbitholepodcasts.com what's the weirdest movie you've ever seen Now that's a loaded and very objective question. Because to some people, one person's weird movie is another person's totally average movie. Oh my god, I saw this weird movie the other day called Pulp Fiction. There's these shootouts, a girl gets high, some guy in a leather outfit shows up, something happens to this big black guy that I'm not even sure I want to know what, and John Travolta dies in the middle of it, but then shows up at the end. It doesn't make sense, Arlene. But if you tell Arlene to go watch, say, Gummo, she's going to be spitting up a potato salad that has raisins in it. Now, by the way, Gummo is not the weirdest movie I've ever seen. It's weird, and I was left with more questions than answers, but I have seen weirder movies than Gummo. And if you don't know what Gummo is, don't watch it. You probably won't like it. The first movie I can recall seeing and thinking, well, that was weird, was the Garbage Pail Kids movie from 1987. I was eight years old when I rented it from the video store, and I was having a sleepover at my aunt's house. And me and my cousins collected Garbage Pail Kids cards. Hang on. Does anyone even remember Garbage Pail Kids? They were supposed to be like the evil twins of Cabbage Patch Dolls. Does anybody remember Cabbage Patch Dolls? Okay, I'm going to have to assume that you do. Otherwise, you know, uh, I'm going to keep doing this and we're going to go down this rabbit hole. Okay, let's assume that you know what Cabbage Patch Dolls are, but you don't know what Garbage Pail Kids are because, well, they're weird. Garbage Pail Kids were these trading cards where each card featured a kid who had something gross going on with them. For example, Gassy Gus, who did nothing but fart, or Warty Ann, who was a girl covered in warts and the warts were leaking puss. And the art was extremely graphic in a gross manner. And they made adults annoyed, so obviously all of us kids wanted them. Anyway, this turned into a movie, and the movie made even less sense. So all the gross kids that I just described, they show up in a garbage can spaceship and lands in an alley on Earth behind an antique shop owned by a guy named Captain Manzini. And there's a kid named Dodger who is in love with a girl named Tangerine who designs clothes. Now, she captures the titular Garbage Pail Kids because they're good at making clothes so she can sell the clothes to fashion shows. I assure you I'm not making any of this up. Anyway, this movie's really fucking bizarre, and imagine being an 8-year-old staying the night at your aunt's house watching this. Then you grow up to be me. Now, if I had to follow that up, I would say that the next weirdest movie I've ever seen was Begotten. 
Now, this movie doesn't have any dialogue. There's some guy sitting in a rocking chair, shitting himself to death, and then everything turns white. That's about all I remember before I drank a whole bottle of tequila to forget I even watched this thing. Begotten? More like forgotten. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. Now, after those two, we get into questionable territory. Questionable has in possibly illegal to watch them like say a serbian film a serbian film is well a serbian film that does a lot of shocking things and really it's just there just to be shocking you know things with newborns and families and the like i won't go into details but don't look it up either you're not gonna like it now you know what's an approachable weird movie rubber Rubber's a weird movie, but it's like baby's first weird movie. It's weird, but a person who isn't as fucked up as me can watch it and go, huh, that was odd, and then just go about their day. Rubber tells a tale of a tire that comes to life and can kill people telepathically. That's basically it. Well, it, it also falls in love with a girl, and there's a cop who's supposed to be our guide, and there's people in the movie who's supposed to be us like us watching the movie again it's weird but you won't hate yourself after watching it unlike martyrs i'm not telling you what happens in martyrs and don't go watch that one either tank girl came out on march 31st 1995 was budgeted for 25 million dollars and only earned back 6 million it currently has 43% on Rotten Tomatoes, and critics did not like it, but they didn't hate it either. Tank Girl is based on a graphic novel created by two Brits named Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett. Now, if that last name sounds familiar, he's the same guy who created the look, if you will, of the band Gorillaz. Starring Lori Petty has Tank Girl. Prior to this, uh, she was in stuff like Cadillac Man, A League of Their Own, Free Willy, and Point Break. After this, she so shows up in films called Relax, It's Just Sex, The Arrangement, and Route 666. Did Tank Girl tank her career? For what it's worth, she would be featured in a lot of TV shows, and she does voices for various uh, animated DC movies featuring Batman and Superman. I think she's doing just fine. We also have Naomi Watts. Yes, that Naomi Watts. I wonder if she claims this movie. Anyway, she plays Jet Girl, a woman who is really good with tech and can fly jets, as her name suggests. Malcolm McDowell shows up as the villain Kesley, who runs a corporation called Water and Power that controls the world's water supply and doesn't like sharing with anybody. Malcolm McDowell is one of those actors who you think is a prestigious actor, like Anthony Hopkins or Daniel Day-Lewis, and then he shows up in shit like this and it makes you say, never mind. Yeah, 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 he was in Caligula. Hey, that's another kind of weird movie. And to round out the major stars portion of this movie, we have Ice-T, who plays a creature named T-Saint. Now, he's not even the main creature. He's just kind of in the back saying he disapproves of everything. Oh, I should mention James Hong shows up in this. Now I wonder if he claims this movie. Today on That's the Bomb, Yo, I welcome my friend and podcast co-host Lackey as we tell you why Tank Girl 
is a hella rad movie from the 90s. Say it, say it. Just say, I won. I won. No! No! Say, I won. I won! The middle of his work starts attuned to the moon above Everybody! It is nature that's all simply telling us to fall in love. Come on, you too! And that's why friends do it, please do it. Even educated, please do it. Let's do it! Let's fall in love! Hello, everybody. Welcome to That's the Bomb, yo. 90 hella rad movies from the 90s. I am Jason Soto. My guest today, I just learned, is his fourth time appearing on this show. Uh, he is my co-host over at Musically Ignorant and from Inner Time, which both you can find at rabbitholepodcast.com. It is Lackey. Hello, Lackey. Jason, have I ever tried told you about the time I tried to trick Nick into watching Begotten? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think we, we, he, he he was looking he was looking for movie recommendations on Twitter and I suggested Begotten and oh. somebody basically cut in and said, "Are you seriously trying to get this guy to watch Begotten?" <laughs> that might have been me for all we know. <laughs> I think now that I think about it, I think it probably was you. And um, as a result of that, I tricked him into watching Pink Floyd: The Wall instead. Okay, much better and, choice. And, and, and he and he didn't like it. Oh, that sucks. All right. Well, but I can guarantee you he had a better time than watching, watching Begotten. Watching Pink Floyd the Wall than watching Begotten. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. The big, big, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the weirdest movie you think you've seen? Uh, Begotten. Um, <laughs> if I had second, to. Second. It, it, okay. Second weirdest movie I've ever seen. Damn, I actually had, uh. And it, it's floated out of my mind. Um, okay. Sorry. I didn't mean the distraction. Oh, God. The God. <laughs> what was the oh God? What was the other one? I've seen so many bizarre movies. Yeah, um, you have. I was kind of watching you in my peripheral as I was reading the uh, my monologue. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even <laughs> I mean, even, you know, I, I when you mentioned martyrs, I went out to my living room to to show you <laughs> on the camera my DVD copy of martyrs. Oh boy! Um, I can't watch that ever but, again. But even <laughs> I, I mean, but even Martyrs is not one of the weirdest. I mean, I've seen so many weird films. I don't even think that I would put How Zoo. Mm. Okay, here is the here here is a good here is a good contender for like the the title of the weirdest film I've ever seen. Hmm. There is a Spanish horror movie from the late eighties hmm. called Angustia or Anguish. Oh, and. It is it it's one claim to fame is that it stars Zelda Rubenstein, Zelda Rubenstein from mm-hmm. Poltergeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing her Zelda Rubenstein thing. And it is a a a film about a group of people who go to see a horror movie, and then what happens in the horror movie is kind of reflected back at them their experience in, in the theater. It is so meta that there is one point in the movie where the people in the theater who are watching the movie see mm-hmm. the main character of the movie within the movie go to a movie theater 
and watch a movie. So at one point you're watching a movie about a guy watching people watching a movie about a guy watching a movie. Holy shit. To, to the extent that at the end of the film, while they're rolling the credits, it, it, it's showing the credits on a movie screen and a bunch of people getting up and leaving the thing seems <laughs> like it's a theater. So there's just another level of meta here. Oh my God. Um, I gotta check this out. This that, sounds awesome. <laughs> this, I, I'm it, kind of into this. I don't even. I think I got it from Netflix when Netflix was still sending people discs. Ooh. It's very obscure. Yeah. I don't know how easy it is to get a hold of anymore. Uh, and I got a hold of it under its Spanish title Angustia. The English title is Anguish. So that's mm. that's one. It's okay. Not very good that I remember. I mean, I... It, it's it's interesting for the like the various levels of. You know, yeah, meta, yeah, 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 yeah. But in terms of actually being an entertaining movie, it really doesn't work. But mm. that, you know, I could also list stuff like the Bunny Game, but I don't want, I don't <laughs> want to encourage anybody to see the Bunny Game. That doesn't sound like even something. I okay, I'm going to tell you about the Bunny Game. Ah. The Bunny Game, <laughs> the Bunny Game was a film that bloody disgusting, a uh, championed as one of the most extreme horror movies ever made mm. in the early 2010s. And it turned out the reason they were doing that is because the founder of Bloody Disgusting produced the movie. But it's, on a surface level, it's just basically about a woman who gets kidnapped and tortured by a creep. But the gimmick, if you want to call it, of the film is that the actress playing the, the lead female character is also the writer of the film or the co-writer of the film and all the torture that that characters undergoing she's actually the actress it's not simulated the actress is actually being tortured like that Jesus. to the point where there's a scene where you know the creep actually brands her with an iron and the he actually the 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 the, the writer and star actually wrote the scene and she actually got branded oh my god Okay. Again, mm. it, as as extreme as it sounds, it's still not very good, because it literally it literally is like the torture porn cliche of just basically watching seventy five minutes of some creep be a sadist, and there's nothing underlying to it. It's like a piece of cultural junk, junk food. Hmm. But I mentioned it, so I have to you know tell people what it is to steer them away from it because it. You know, I could have watched V for Vendetta with a cute girl that night, but instead I watched Aww. the fucking bunny game and it wasn't worth it. And I will now, never forgive myself. Now look what happened. Look what yeah, happened. Yeah, look at me now. I'm I'm talking about Tank Girl on the podcast wearing a Howard the Duck t-shirt. What's wrong with me? Exactly. So, okay, well, Tank Girl. Um, so, uh, full disclosure, when I made the list of the 90s film, the 90 films for this show, I did include titles that I've not seen before, but they felt like they were very nominal films for the 90s. Like they were very 90s films or like, you know, a mo one of the movies you think of when you think of movies from the 90s. And I did put a few of those on the list because I felt like I did myself a disservice for not seeing them when they originally ran. And... Tank Girl is one of those movies. I've never seen Tank Girl prior to the recording of this show. Um, actually, I think it came suggested by somebody. Our pal Bubble I, Wheat thinks it might have been him. Um, 
I think it might have been me as well. Or it might have been you. Yeah. It, it, I, I didn't – I don't know why I didn't track the names of these people who suggested this thing. Um, but, yeah, it was either you or Bubba or maybe both. Maybe you both said Tank Girl separately and didn't know right. it. Uh, but you also said to me that you also hadn't seen this prior, correct? Right. Right. And did you um, feel the same way? Like it was a like a important '90s film? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it an important '90s film, but I, 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 it's it's when I think of quintessentially like '90s films. '90s films are kind of like, you know, kind of like embody the '90s aesthetic, particularly like the mid '90s. Tank Girl just comes immediately to mind. And it, it, it makes an interesting – since I've already been on the barbed wire episode, it kind of <laughs> makes sense for me to be also on the Tank Girl episode yeah. because they're both based on comics. That are very that, underground. Very underground comics that – very kind of like cult classics. Yeah. And that – I don't know if I would say they have the same, same kind of aesthetic, but um, I anyway think... – I think Tank Girl's more wacky than Barb. I think Barb Wire was trying to be wacky and it failed, whereas Tank Girl succeeded in the wackiness. Right. And that may have something to do with maybe more of the source material, because I've not read the comics. Have you read the comics? I have not read the comics, but I've I know a bit about them. Okay. Um, you know, I I know I know a little bit about British comics history. Oh. So I know a little bit about where Tank Girl fits in there. Okay. Um, so I not read the comics, so I don't have any kind of basis on this whatsoever. Uh, but when you watch the movie, intersped between the live action scenes are, I'm assuming, real panels from the comics. Or they my were made un- for the movie. I don't know. One of the two. My my understanding is I didn't interview – I read some interviews in, in prep for – this podcast i read okay. an interview specifically with alan martin mm. and i will i i think there's a point later where it would be better to kind of elaborate on why it was done this way but those panels were actually done specifically from the movie okay from my understanding they are not they are not quote-unquote sampled mm. from the actual comic okay they were drawn by jamie hewlett yeah yeah but... oh yeah obviously <laughs> they're his style I yeah, that's why I thought they well, were actually from the comic because they look like his and stuff. And I I thought that they were from the comic as well. Um, Jamie Hewlett, you, yeah, Jamie Hewlett is a very distinct art style, but mm-hmm. actually, I I see a lot of where his influences come from. There's a a, a British, and we'll get we'll get into 2000 AD, I think later on okay. in this podcast. But there was a guy named Mike McMahon um, okay. who was primarily did, did art for a magazine called 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. And like almost everybody, and this is how I heard about Mike McMahon, and here is one of the several references to this I'll be making over the podcast. I knew know who Mike McMahon is because like almost everybody else involved in 2000 AD um, – he the 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 editor of 2000 AD went to work for Marvel, oh. and for um, Marvel uh, had a magazine, uh, or um, Doctor Who, obviously, oh. and Des Skin, the editor, he poached a lot of 2000 AD talent for Doctor Who magazine's comic strip, including Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. 
and Grant, and I think, uh, no, no, Grant Morrison would have come in later. But primarily the two names that people would know are Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Interesting. Okay. The writer, for those who don't know, the writer, the original writer and artist of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. So the movie, okay, let's get to the movie um, before we get to all that. Uh, so the movie is a post-apocalyptic film. Uh, it takes place in like 2033 or something. I don't remember exactly, but something like that. 2033. Holy shit, I got it right. Wow, I yeah, was just 20, randomly guessing. <laughs> 2033. Um, and um, it's uh, the, the apocalypse was a, a meteorite or a comet or something hits the Earth, and it destroys it, uh, but it dries up the planet. Uh, where water is very scarce, and so um, Malcolm McDowell's character, he ends up hoarding, controlling the world's water supply, um, and he created the company called Water and Power, or you know WP, as they show like a lot in the movie, and uh, it's almost very oddly similar to the story in Mad Max Fury Road. It was like it made me quite like. What? <laughs> to, to the to the point where I don't think they ever ex- actually mentioned this in the film, mm-hmm. but I did read it in several synopses, and it is actually taken from the comic. The movie takes place in Australia. Yeah. Okay. So also... not that you'd not that you'd ever know it, because there are only two Australian accents in the entire <laughs> film. Everybody else is either American or, or Canadian, except for Malcolm McDowell. Except for Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. It, um, so Lackey and I actually the same night we watched this, but like twenty minutes apart. And I remember you saying something about that to me. And I was like, I thought this was San Francisco because the opening shots a bridge. Uh-huh. And every time they show a bridge in a movie, you just, I think, naturally assume it's the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Um, that was my exception. But I, I think there's a suspension bridge like that near Sydney. No, I'm sure I'm there not is. 100 sure, I'm not 100% sure that's the one it's supposed to be, but everything I've read states that this film is actually set yeah, in the, Australia. The, the Wikipedia says it's it's Australia, but they don't really ever mention it. Um they don't really show like landmarks a whole lot. It's mostly like a desert. Um, and then like we're underground a little bit in some scenes. Uh, but otherwise it's, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be Australia, but like, yeah, the only hint in the movie is, um, the one guy, Johnny plague or, um, I don't write his name down. Uh, he was like this guy that created the creatures we're about to meet. Like, oh, later. oh, oh, Johnny Prophet. Prophet, thank you. Um, they they say in the movie he went to New Zealand. Uh huh. And they didn't make it sound like that was a big deal. <laughs> right. Like they made it just sound like he just hopped over to New Zealand. That's kind of the only hint you get in the movie that this is Australia. Um, otherwise, yeah, you you wouldn't really know, and it kind of really doesn't matter a lot like in the story or the movie um because it's supposed to be a desert wasteland anyway because there's no water on the planet um but yeah it's 2033 that we're post-apocalyptic and every time i watch a post-apocalyptic film from the 90s i get a chuckle because compare post-apocalyptic movies that are made nowadays 
nowadays the post-apocalyptic is depressing and dark and gray and sad and we're all crying and we're you know whatever but like 90s post-apocalyptic movies they're all fun and colorful or in one example i gave you horny very very fucking horny everybody is horny mostly tank girl but (laughs) everybody is fucking horny in this movie the opening part of the scene was her scavenging for stuff because it was her boyfriend's birthday and then she goes back to this house that's just in the middle of the desert and that's like their you know outpost um where they're siphoning water they have like a water pump in the basement and that's where they're stealing water from water and power and uh there's this whole like and it's a long scene of her Uh and the boyfriend role-playing like a guard and a captive to the point where you're like, is this actually role playing or is this like a real like situation? Because it went on way too long. Yeah. That was that was a point when I messaged you and I said, oh, the apocalypse is horny. <laughs> especially with her using that Ilsa She Wolf of the SS accent. Yes. That that Nazi exploitation accent. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this scene which went the, on which way the too. subtitles said were Swedish, but I I know exactly <laughs> what they were supposed to be. She's not doing a Swedish voice. She's doing a German I don't think voice. mine said that. I don't think my subtitles said Mine I said Swedish it. accent. I don't Really? That's funny. That's hilarious. Swedes. Am Swedes. I right? Yeah. So, okay, I, I'm going to jump around a little bit cuz really this movie jumps around. There's not a super linear plot outside of it's the apocalypse, the water's being hoarded by a guy. Um, it's just things happening to Tank Girl. And um, one of the things that happens at the start is she's doing guard duty. Water and Power shows up to, you know, you know kill everybody. Uh, but they capture her because she kicks a lot of people's asses and fights back or whatever. We're at a point where Malcolm McDowell's character... Um, uh, likes it, likes likes her. Um, uh, Kessie, sorry, I had to look up his name. Yeah, Kessley. Uh, he he wants to have her on his team, but she doesn't want to. And so then we get speaking of martyrs. Actually, we get twenty minutes of her being like tortured, <laughs> of her like sitting in a f- ice cold freezing room. She's doing like manual labor, like shoveling dirt. Um. She can't, you know, they're not supposed to take showers, so they take, like, a sand shower. Um, They put her in this tube to make her claustrophobic. And, like, she just stays sarcastic through this whole process of this, like, torturing of Tank Girl. Um, And then they meet, uh, she meets uh, who ends up being called Jet Girl, uh, played by Naomi Watts. Who I didn't know Naomi Watts did acting in the early '90s. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know that. I really, I thought I, like I, 2000s I was mean, her breakout. 2000, 2001, Mulholland Drive was right. her first big role. But I was aware that she had been kind of bopping around the Australian film scene for a while. I don't know if I've ever seen anything she did before. Um. Uh, bef- other than Tank Girl before Mulholland Drive, but I definitely knew that she had been. Uh, I-, I definitely knew that she had been active as an actress. Okay, all right, yeah. When I saw her name in the credits, I was like, "I don't know, Watts." I don't know, okay, wow. 
Um, so her character is she works on all the the jets and tanks oh. and ships. What's up? I I don't want to interrupt you. I have seen something Naomi Watts did. Oh, what did you see? Other than... Children of the Corn Four: The Gathering. <laughs> The movie she did right after Tank Girl, because for some stupid fucking reason, my film nerd friends and I decided to watch all the children of the corn films as a prelude to the new one that just came out, because they just won't stop making children of the fucking corn films. But yes, Naomi Ga- Naomi Watts is in the fourth one, and I think that... Oh, okay. No, it is not the one... Sorry, it is not the one that nominally takes place in Chicago. Ah, okay. Okay, all right. I cool. I had no fucking clue. <clears throat> um. Anyway. Anyway, so she's like the tech person who fix all the planes and tanks and stuff, and she's constantly getting harassed by uh Ke- uh Kesley's like right hand man, Sergeant Small, um, who's like constantly feeling her up and trying to hit on her and have sex with her and all this stuff, um. And then, you know, uh, uh, so Tank Girl is trying to escape from this prison, you know, tries to get help from Jet Girl. Jet Girl's like, no, let's, you know, we, you know, can't. We're trapped here. There's no way out. They're all going to kill you. And then um, we're introduced to these creatures called the Rippers. The Rippers are these mysterious creatures that, like, uh, attack at night mostly. And they attack, like, the water outposts that's, like, scattered throughout Australia, apparently. And um, they're, like, they're savages. They, like, brutally kill uh, all these people. And so so Kessley's just had enough of it. And so he grabs Tink Girl and makes her go into their underground lair that the Rippers are in. And says, you're going to go get them out. But then the Rippers attack and uh, basically kills everybody. And you see uh, uh, Kesley's arm was ripped off. <laughs> um, and then that ends. <laughs> now she's out of prison. <laughs> so the prison arc of this movie <laughs> is over. Um, ta- uh, jet Girl was there. She stole a jet and they had a tank. And so they go... Uh, paint it all up in fun 90s bright colors because what did you say to me you said something about another movie with references to the 20th century or something what was that this is this we haven't actually gotten to that bit yet oh, oh this I is thought it was on this part but oh, no sorry. it was, it it was, was a little bit part. later it's a little bit later when they do the rescue scene oh um, okay oh. where i where i said this is the second film I've seen for That's the Bamyo <laughs> that's based on a comic book. Yeah, okay. That largely has a lot of references to films made in the first half of the 20th century. Oh, okay. I'm, I thought you were just talking about, like, overall, like, the aesthetics, because... Uh, not the aesthetics. It's a specific sequence in Okay, this film. okay, okay. With, with The movie I was comparing it to Barb was, was Barbed Barb Wire, Wire, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbed Wire, which the plot of Barbed Wire is basically Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right, sorry. Okay, I guess we'll get there. So, okay. um... So that happens, and oh, I forgot to mention at the house in the beginning, there was a little girl named Samantha. Yeah, um, she's like an eight-year-old or something. Ten. And, ten. Thank you. A ten-year-old, 
and um uh tank girl thought she was dead at the house raiding thing but they find out she's at this like brothel basically um so they have to go rescue her <clears throat> and here and i'm not joking we get a cameo by iggy pop which made me pause because i had to go is that iggy pop and sure enough it was so apparently his character's name is Ratface. i don't recall them saying that in the movie unless i missed it unless that was replaced with me saying is that iggy pop um no, they didn't say they didn't call him Ratface <laughs> that I remember either. But I'm assuming it's a character from the comics because why would they give him a name? Uh, I, I, I can't actually say the characters from the comics. I don't know. That's fair. Um, outside of uh, pedophile, because his whole thing was he wanted the ten year old to dress up like a schoolgirl, <laughs> uh, and that's kind of what's happening when Tink Girl goes to rescue her. Um. We get this weird... So, okay, I'm going to pause for a second here because I want to explain my monologue for a second because I was talking about weird movies. And I know we're going to disagree that this is a weird movie or it's not a weird movie. It's sort of a weird movie. It's not the weirdest movie ever, but it's... You don't experience the bizarreness until you're watching it because you feel like you're on some kind of drug because the things are going so fast... And so phonetically, and just like, it's just like, I need a minute to breathe. And there's this scene where Tank Girl is changing clothes at this brothel. And it it, it is at this point that I was like, this is kind of a weird movie. <laughs> like, it was kind of weird when we kept getting these inner, you know, shots of the comic in place of action scenes. If you notice that. Like, yeah. you know, like someone will get pushed, but instead of seeing the person falling, they showed the comic of the person falling. There's like a whole, not a whole fight scene, but there's a good chunk of fight scenes that are done in the comic style. um, And various other like things like that, that it's not like, it's not transitions. It's just like things that take place in place there's... of live action scenes. There's one sequence, one brief sequence in either a fight or some sort of action scene that's actually animated. Yes. there. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that's a little bizarre. Um, but it was at this point where I'm like, this is kind of a strange movie. And it's like, not like, there's like the signs of a weird movie isn't there. Because like the director, who we didn't really talk about, uh, you know, Rachel, um, oh my God. Rachel Talalay. Talalay, thank you. Rachel Talalay, uh, she went on to do, like, a lot of shit. She did, like, you know, uh, Freddy's Dead. She directed a lot of TV shows. Um, she directed some episodes of Doctor Who. Um, she did. She directed uh, She directed all of the Capaldi finales, and she directed Star Beast. Yeah, that's right. And I'm watching, I'm going through Supernatural right now. And actually the same night that I watched Tank Girl, she directed the episode of Supernatural uh -huh. that I, which was so weird, <laughs> uh -huh. um, which was weird. So yeah, she's kind of a famous director actually, but she's not known for weird shit, right? Like, you know, Freddy's dead. Say what you want about that movie. It's not weird. So it's like, there's just something to this. That just like all these things with Lori Petty's acting and 
and you know Jamie Hewlett's drawings and everything just makes this like a weird feeling movie. Like you know what I'm saying? I I, I have a question for you. Okay. Have you seen Lori Petty in any anything else? I have seen Free Willy. It's been a okay. while since I've seen Free Willy. I will admit that. Uh, I've never seen A League of Their Own. Um, and what else did I say she was in? Um, I've not seen Cadillac Man. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah, I've seen I've seen her in a couple of things. Oh, Point Break. Is, I have seen Point Break. This, this is the only thing I've ever seen her in. Okay. And this you're talking about Lori Petty's acting. So here's here's where I get to mention like the thing that sticks out in my mind. And mm-hmm. I said this on the chat. Mm-hmm. She she talks in this movie like Gwen Stefani stinks. <laughs> and that is such a She has this very stylized, <laughs> not exactly girly, but exaggerated sort of feminine voice. Mm-hmm. It is the exact sort of singing voice that Gwen Stefani uses on most of her songs. <laughs> this is accurate. This is 100% true. You've nailed I- it. I, I don't want to be I don't want to assume that's the way she talks in real life. I that may very well be the way she talks in real life. I don't know. I don't, I don't know so. if this was an acting I don't know if this was an acting choice on her part. But it's Im- kind of important to know this going into the film. Yeah. In a way, because <clears throat> I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it actually revealed I thought it really fit Tank Girl's character. Oh, one hundred percent. But I can totally imagine because here here is the thing i want to know exactly i i want to do some research on the batman animated shows i want to know if there's any fucking influential connection between tank girl and harley quinn oh oh because the other thing i mentioned the other thing i mentioned on the chat was back in the late 2010s apparently margot robbie was attached to produce a remake of Tank Girl. <laughs> Margot Robbie. And what is Margot Robbie's signature role, or at least was before before Barbie? Before Barbie Harley yeah. Quinn. Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so not, that, that just made wrong. total sense. So I want to know, I want to know if there's any influential connection between the two characters. Because it's not that she uses the exaggerated Arlene Sorkin New York voice. But they are essentially the same character when you get right down to it. So they have these. They have these. They have these exaggerated. They, they're both psychotic. They're both very, very. There's a lot of dark humor in all of their dialogue. Yeah. And yeah. they talk in very similar exaggerated feminine voices. So looking it up, it looks like she voices a character named Livewire, which I am not familiar with. Uh, or her regular name on the show, or the bet, you know, the DC stuff is Leslie Willis. So okay. That means something to anybody. That's who she voices on the Ask animated Bubba. stuff. Baba would know, I think. He he might he might know. Um, yeah, but you're right about like, yeah, t- yeah, Tank Girl. She's very sarcastic, and yes, yeah, and she's very very sexual, um, in a positive way. But she's always talking about like sex or sex parts of some kind. The and... the, the line the line that, that that sticks with me is when she's in the uh, 
uh, is when Malcolm McDowell has her in the straight jacket. She's complaining. I can't touch myself, myself. with this thing on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Okay, let's get to the dance number. <laughs> that's the bit. That's the bit where that's where I said made my comparison to barbed wire because this is not just a musical and dance number. This is a specifically like twenty and thirty style Hollywood yes. dance number in the style of Busby Berkeley, mm -hmm. and they're singing a Cole Porter song. They're singing Cole. "Let's Fall in Love." Let's fall in love. Yep. Yeah. 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 And it's like kind of out of nowhere, and it doesn't really make sense. Because it's it's her that they, they you know they they go save uh, Samantha, and they're trying to escape, but they get caught because uh, the water and power goons are there, and then they're just on this stage all of a sudden with like other dancers, and then Tank Girl just starts singing the the Cole Porter song, and then it just becomes this full blown musical number of the right. whole song. <laughs> Like it's not a part of it. It's not like a second of it. It's it's the whole song, and I'm like, okay, this is an interesting choice to put a musical number in the middle of your post-apocalyptic comic book movie. <laughs> like that. That's that's a choice. Um. Yeah, and then um, so that p plot ends. They get they well. Samantha gets captured by water and power, obviously. And then I got to ask you, Lackey, after that, yeah. did you forget about Samantha until the end of the movie? Pretty much. Because but, but I then did. You wanted, you, you, you wanted to know the truth? Huh? I forgot about Malcolm McDowell for <laughs> in the middle of the movie. Right. So let me get to that. So Malcolm McDowell, like I said, his arm, we see his arm was blown off. We get this scene back at the at the corporation. Where he's like lying on a on an operating table or something, and he's got this thing over his head. And we got a doctor, like this female doctor, who's like, "Oh, you're not gonna recover. You're gonna be disfigured for the rest of your life. We can't do anything." James Hong shows up, and he's like, "I can fix you. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take care of you." Which prompts, we have the technology. Which prompts Malcolm McDowell to kill the doctor. And so then, after that, we don't ever see Malcolm McDowell's face. Which, I'm going to get to, the, when we get to the ending of this, I'm going to get more and, into and this. And I want, to, I want to point out about James Wong. I'm absolutely certain this is a reference to James Wong's character in Blade Runner. Oh. Hmm. Okay, I did not even... That didn't even cross my mind. J J James James Wong plays the I make your eyes. He's the guy yeah, that yeah, fabricates yeah. the replicant eyes. Oh, I did not. I don't. Wow, you're right. That had to be done on purpose. <laughs> um, but we don't ever see Malcolm McDowell's face until the end. But then I'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but they capture Samantha, the little girl, and I forgot all about out at her because now i'm thinking okay now we move on to like the d plot where they have to go get samantha from water and power which means they got to sneak back into the place and so that's kind of what the idea is but what ends up happening is she gets the idea to go get the rippers to help break into the uh the corporation to uh to get her back and then they completely like well let's put that on hold for like 45 minutes 
and let's deal with this Ripper scene because it's just nonstop Rippers infighting with each other. They want to fuck both Tank Girl and Jet Girl. Uh, Ice-T, who's one of the Rippers, is just like not down for any of this. Like everything, everything that gets discussed, he shoots down like immediately. He's like, he, like <laughs> he is the embodiment. He is in the embodiment of um, uh, Groucho Marx, and I, I think it's Ducks. No, not Ducks. I don't remember. Carl would know, I think. But whatever it is, he's against it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then we get this whole other. D.1 plot where they're like, you know, we'll get your trust if you go hijack this truck full of uh, water and power weapons. And then we pause for that. And it's like this movie just gets in the way of itself because it's like they set up these stories and then they just do other things. But we haven't even talked about what the Rippers actually are yet. They are humanoid kangaroos that were genetic experiments by Johnny play Johnny profit profit profit. (laughs) I'm getting there. (laughs) At least I remember to begin with a P Johnny profit to be super soldiers. And only some of them became the great super soldiers. What we got here are the rejects. Mm -hmm. I think I got that right. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and so, but okay, here's what's cool though. Has someone who's living in 2024 where we're just constantly bombarded with terrible CGI and green screen for like their monsters effects. It was kind of refreshing to see practical makeup and stuff done. And I know it was done by like Stan Winston. Stan Winston, I guess, was so enthusiastic about this pro- project. That he, I guess, took half of his. He they actually he actually arranged with the with the production to to work for half of his usual fee. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really good. He's a really good makeup, you know, creature makeup prosthetics guy. And say what you want, those were really good. <laughs> they looked really good. The, the kangaroo men. Um. They were really expressive, and like I, I, I got to see Ice T scowl underneath all the uh-huh. makeup. Like I was like, "That's okay." I like the joke that they put in this movie. Um, something about what did they used to do before they were kangaroo men, and they went to Ice T's character, and he says he was a cop. Um, which was funny in 1995 because he wrote the song "Cop Killer." Uh huh. But it's funny now because he plays a cop on TV. <laughs> He's played. He's played a cop on on SVU for, um, for what two hundred and twenty years now. Yeah, like forever. So it's like funny in two different timelines. It's funny as hell. Um, but no, I mean but, the entire idea of Ice T being a cop on a well, cop yeah, show exactly is funny. It's it's a joke unto itself. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so um. Unless there's a neat, another reason why I need to keep going plot by plot, I want to just jump to the end, like the end fight with Malcolm McDowell, because uh-huh. we get the reveal, we get the big reveal after we haven't seen his face for most of the movie. Um, so I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna be like a, like a, like a Doctor Doom 
Dr. Claw kind of thing where like something's up with his face. Like he's disfigured or he's got a robot head or something, but then they show him and he's a normal face. And so I remember going, what the fuck was that about? Why was he hiding through the whole movie if it's just going to be a normal head? And then the thing was, his head is a hologram. But, like, they could have showed his head through the whole movie and we wouldn't have known it was a hologram. <laughs> so I didn't understand what they were going for there. You know what I mean? I, I think my charitable reading of why they did it like that was they wanted to subvert they wanted to subvert the trope of the guy in the mask Dr. Mm. Claw, Dr. Doom, Phantom the Opera or whatever. Mm-hmm. You never see his face, so you think it's hideous and it's just there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing hideous about it. It's just okay. the actor and he's not wearing any makeup. I think they did it to subvert expectations. I don't think it worked. No, it I the joke went way over my head. Because uh, I just remember going, what the fuck? Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but then I, did, I didn't, they were like, they showed Samantha in the tube. And then they then he starts drowning her. And then that's where I went, oh, I forgot about the girl. <laughs> I forgot they're uh-huh. supposed to go rescue this little girl. And like I said, the movie gets in the way of itself. Um, but I also think that's because this is based on a comic book. And I get the feeling... All of these things that we've seen were like their own issues of the comic, and they're just smashed together in this movie. Here's what I understand, and I could be wrong about this, and if I am wrong, then if there's anybody listening that's an expert on the Tank Girl comic... Uh, please feel free to correct us. Yeah, let us. My know. understanding, my understanding is that this has this movie has absolutely nothing to do with any. There are any of the plots that actually appeared in Tank Girl, the comic, such as they were. And my oh. understanding for that matter was that Tank Girl was never really a plot-oriented comic to begin with. <laughs> that um, totally makes sense. I did, I did, I did a look at the, the Tank Girl comic Wikipedia mm-hmm. page. It, it says nothing about water and power. Oh. Does not, it mentions the Rippers. Okay. It does not mention Johnny Proppet. Jet Girl is the last recurring character listed in the recurring characters list. So okay. I, I kind of implying that she's really all not all that important. Huh. But I'm not 100% sure about that. <clears throat> okay. All um, right. And huh. it, w- this is something that the, 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 the Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett do not like this film. They oh, okay. feel it strayed too much from their conception. Alan Martin, I actually read uh, an interview with where Alan Martin actually believes you now just can't make a movie of Tank Girl. Tank Girl is, he believes it's completely unsuited to be adapted into like a a cinematic or television medium. Hmm. Okay. Now I kind of want to read the comics now. (laughs) Yeah, so do I. I'm very curious. Uh, Let's talk about the soundtrack. Um, cause this is one of those nineties movies that has like a fucking awesome soundtrack. Um, so curiously enough, and I should have kept that up. I was reading the trivia, uh, for the movie on IMDb and, um, <clears throat> Bjork was supposed to play a part in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, but something happened, um, where they, um, they, they couldn't, and I'm trying to get back to it. 
Uh, but she has two songs in this movie. Yep. Um, and then you got stuff like uh, Portishead shows up in here. Um, Portishead. Um, I'm looking it up. Girl soundtrack. Uh, let's see. Devo has a song. Hole has a song. Um, Courtney Love was actually very heavily involved with the with the soundtrack. Uh-huh. She was she was supposed to play uh, Jet Girl, I think. Uh, but uh, uh, Kurt Cobain died, you know. Right. And it was around the time of the making of this, so she had to step away to, from doing that. Uh, but she continued doing the uh, soundtrack. Um, but uh, anyway, a, a piece of a little piece of music <laughs> trivia about this. Uh huh. When you mentioned Iggy Pop, yes. Um, on the chat, mm-hmm. was right after. Um, the scene where she's out taking watch, and the song that they play on the soundtrack is a song called Blank Generation by Richard Hell and the Voidoids. When you mm. mentioned Iggy Pop, that's what I thought you were referring to, oh. because it kind of sounds like an Iggy Pop song. Mm. And it, it's it's where I see Courtney Love's hand most heavily on the soundtrack. It's not Bjork, it's not Portishead. Mm-hmm. It's actually in that hmm. that particular choice, blank generation. Okay, I can see that too. Yeah, yeah, that make that does make sense. Um, and then apparently, like three of the Spice Girls tried out for <laughs> this movie as well. I was reading that in the trivia. Like, I was like, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> uh, all right, that would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> um, overall. I want to say I enjoyed this movie. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, but I mean that in a positive way because I think I got everything that I need out of it. I don't think it's one that I need to rewatch. I think I can I can confidently say I've seen Tank Girl. I know what it's about. I get it. It really does have a place in the 90s, and it's honestly – only could have been made in the nineties. You can't right. you can't do this nowadays. There's you're right. They can't they can't make a tank girl nowadays. There's just no you, way. You, you couldn't do a tank girl <laughs> movie today and you couldn't do a tank girl movie. I mean even considering the <clears throat> fact that Tank Girl wasn't even created until eighty seven or eighty eight, you couldn't do something like Tank Girl in the eighties. The closest <clears throat> thing and this is a movie this is something you know we've already mentioned the the obvious influence of the mad max films on yeah. this yeah um the closest you could have gotten is beyond thunder this <laughs> yes. this is a film this is a film that's very rooted in its time period yes. and you can't really take it out of the mid 90s it's not a timeless film correct which is not necessarily a bad thing no not at all you know it's definitely the sort of film that somebody wants to know what the year 1995 was like, you could sit them down with a poppy of Tank Girl. Yes, yes. And you will give them a very good idea of what was kind of popular in the culture, what the Mm -hmm. 90s, what, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It may not necessarily be the best option, but it in many ways is is the most all-encompassing option. Yes, um, and it's a better fucking choice than Spawn, you know. <laughs> so that that's all I care about is that we leave Spawn out of the conversation. 
Anyway, for a few episodes. And this is where you tell me, or <laughs> this is where you tell me you like Spawn the movie. Anyway, it's, ac- um, it's gonna be it's gonna be coming up on this very show. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, who's who's uh, who's, uh, who's hosting it with you? Uh, Isabel. That makes sense. Uh, okay. Any final thoughts about Tank Girl? Anything I didn't get to? Anything else you want to say? Do you regret so, so, not seeing? So here's this? here's my take on <clears throat> Tank Girl. Um. Tank Girl, I'm going to go on a little bit of a monologue myself here. I don't have this written down, so I won't be, I'll just be doing stream of consciousness. Okay. Tank Girl is, is one of those things where if you're making a comic book movie and it's not like a huge property that everybody knows, like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man, the, the best thing that you can do with it is that you can lean in – because a lot of most of why people read comic books is the art. And Tank Girl has a very peculiar art style. It's very British, it's very punk, it's very rooted in what I mentioned earlier, 2000 AD. 2000 AD is where we get Judge Dredd from. And if I remember correctly, that movie was also made in 1995. It was. Um and Kind of, the, it, it's like heavy metal, the, he, the the heavy metal movie that was made in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. In terms of plot, in as much as that there are any plots in the thing at all, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. But in terms of it, kind of showing you what you can, what heavy metal comics were doing at the various comics were doing at the time. What you would you would have things like, um, you know, Richard Corbin's comics and Mobius's comics and all that. It's a complete success. Um, and and kind of the problem with Tank Girl is that Tank Girl, most of the time, looks like every other fucking action science fiction flick made in the nineties. <laughs> um, the the particularly whenever it cuts to power and water. Power and Water is very drab, very gray, and I kept thinking, I, I maybe you know the n- name of this movie. As as steeped as you are in Hellarad movies from the 90s, I can't remember the name of it, but I, I swear to God, in the mid-90s, there was a science fiction movie. was nominally based on a Philip K. Dick story. Canadian, it was done by the guy, it was directed by the guy that directed the Scanners sequels. <laughs> and I, I want to say... Christian Dugway was his name, and I want to say Peter Weller was in it. Mm. Um, I cannot remember the name, but and that's what it kept re- looking like to me. It looked like these sort of Canadian, low-budget, sci-fi, futuristic things that would show up on like Showtime and HBO at five at, at three in the morning. Where Tank Girl, I think, is most successful is when it tries, at least nominally, to replicate the the, the look of a comic, but doesn't happen all the time. Um, Now, here's that fun fact. Here's that mind-blowing fun fact that I mentioned to you uh, yesterday before. The production designer for Tank Girl was Catherine Hardwick. I did read that, yes. Director of Twilight. Director of um, yeah, yep, Catherine Hardwick. But yep. but and this is this is the thing I was hinting at earlier. 
why these scenes, why these art scenes and animation scenes are in the film. Apparently, they got through, Rachel Talalay got through a, a significant chunk of production and basically felt that it did not look tank. The film did not look tank girly enough. Mm. So got Jamie Hewlett to throw all this stuff in kind of at the last minute to try to emphasize that. But, but that's the thing. I mean, Mm. in terms, and there's no plot here. I mean, there's a a sequence of events, but Mm -hmm. in terms of progression or anything like that, Mm. there's no characters arc. Nobody changes throughout this film for the most part. The closest you get is Jet Girl eventually becomes a little less introverted and uptight. And yeah. that really kind of happens um, really about halfway through the film, you know, when they're doing the fake um, when they're doing the fake pinup calendar shoot. And oh, she's sitting there in yeah. a pla- in a transparent plastic mat mac and like fluorescent neon briefs taking photos pretending to be a photographer yeah 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 yeah. um yeah you know so we're we're you know so it's a lot of it it, there's so much action in in this film that it starts to get numbing after a while nobody Mm -hmm. ever changes it's just a hundred minutes of just tank girl kicking people's asses and singing and flirting with people and basically um Kind of in a kind of a, with a lack of that, it's really Lori Petty who sustains this film. Because another thing that I mentioned earlier, Malcolm McDowell really disappears from about the middle of the film. Oh, he does, yeah. Um, and Naomi Watts, bless her, in 1995, she had not turned into the Naomi Watts we all know and love today. She's no. not bad in this. But she's also she's also given almost nothing to do. No, no. And I mean, you think she, she would? She's not. She doesn't really. She doesn't use that as a reason to create the character into himself, into itself. Jet Girl is very, very forgettable, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So, what really sustains this film? is Laurie Petty's performance, which I'm not sure anybody's ever going to call Laurie Petty a great actress, but she's phenomenal in this. She carries this film. Okay. You know, that's yeah. at least the way I look at it. You know, I, I don't think this was a, you know, I'm not going to call this a bad film. It's not a good film in the conventional sense that we would call something a good film, mm-hmm. you know, but if you're on to its wavelength, and you have a little bit of lowered expectations. It's got some enjoyable stuff in it. Um, it it's definitely not a film that I'm ever. It's it's a very shallow film. It's there. It's all surface. There's nothing going on beneath the surface. There's not stuff that you're going to pick up in repeated viewings. Right. But for the most part, as a disposable kind of like piece of entertainment. It's not bad. I, I've certainly, I've certainly wasted a hundred minutes watching less good films. <laughs> you know, I'd certainly rather watch this again than the Bunny Game or Begone. <laughs> you know, to square the circle. Anyway, so that's that's how what I feel about Tank Girl. It's okay. Wow, it, it, you it's, were ready. 
it's 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 not good, but it's got its charms. Yeah. Okay. All right. I. Well that's my said. monologue. That, I've been thinking about that for a couple of days, but and that's my monologue. Okay. Well said. Well said. I we can't top that. So yeah, we have to stop there. <laughs> uh, Okay, well, Lackey, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show, as always. Uh, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's the bomb, yo. 90 hella rad movies from the 90s is hosted, written, and edited by me, Jason Soto. I can be found on Twitter at Famous Comedian, or you can email me any questions, comments, or concerns to rabbitholepod at gmail.com, spelled R-B-B-T-H-O-L-E-P-O-D. This show is a Rabbit Hole Podcast production. You can find this episode and several other great podcasts over at rabbitholepodcast.com. You can follow Rabbit Hole Podcast on Twitter at RabbitHP. Also, you can support every Rabbit Hole Podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash rabbitholepods. For three bucks a month, you get early access to episodes and bonus content. Until next time, I'm Jason Soto, and remember, wear sunscreen. Copyright 2024. Rabbit Hole Podcasts, rabbitholepodcasts.com.